0: Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Today's show is about self-managing your properties and how do you go about doing that. Most of our clients manage their properties through a professional property management company that we have in every market that we have properties in. And often we'll have two to three professional management companies that work with us uh, through our referral network. However, there are some investors that prefer to manage their own properties. So last week I had an episode about managing properties through professional management and I had Brent and Hayden from Renters Warehouse on. And that was a great episode. There was a lot of good information covered in that one. But that was centered around using a professional manager. So this week, I wanted to bring on a guest who is the chief landlordologist at a company called Cozy, but he's also the founder of a website known as landlordology.com. And that website is a community of real estate investors who self-manage, and it's chock full of great information that covers everything from qualifying and screening tenants to finding tenants to evictions and whatnot. So I brought on Lucas, who is the founder of Landlordology, to talk about how he goes about self-managing and going through the process. And I asked him various questions to try and get into some tactical items and the how-to's, not just what to look for, um, but how to actually do it. So hopefully you'll uh, appreciate this episode and get a lot out of it. And if you have any questions about what we cover, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to Lucas. He's a very, very nice guy, open, and uh, this is what he does all day long. is he's an- He answers questions about self-managing property and how to do it and what tools are out there, and he blogs about it. So we'll get to that episode in 30 seconds, and I hope you enjoy it. Is your cash working hard for you? Savings accounts and most stocks, bonds, and mutual funds provide little to no real rates of return. How would you like your cash to earn a 15% annual rate of return fully secured by real estate? Our private lending program allows investors to safely invest in our real estate projects without any long-term commitments. Self-directed retirement accounts also qualify. For your free information packet, please visit PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. That's PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. It's my pleasure to welcome Lucas Hall to the show. Lucas is the Chief Landlordologist at Cozy and the founder of Landlordology.com. He has been a successful landlord for over 10 years, self-managing dozens of happy tenants. Lucas, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you here. So to give people a sense of geography, why don't you tell them where you're located? Sure.
1: I'm located in the DC metro region in, in Northern Virginia.
0: That's a pretty pricey real estate market there, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. As a real estate investor, it does make it uh, somewhat difficult to just uh, pick up properties on a weekend. They have to put in a little more planning.
0: Well, I know you self-manage all your properties, which is what the topic of the show is about. Are, are all your properties located locally, or are they out of state?
1: Yes, uh, both. I should say they're they're located in Northern Virginia, DC, and then I have I have one in Colorado.
0: Okay. All right, great. So just briefly tell us how you got started in real estate investing because a lot of people who invest either invest in their backyard and manage themselves or, as our clients do, they build a portfolio that is typically out of state and you know they hire professional property managers. So how did you get into real estate investing? And, and then we'll kind of start talking about the self-management side of things.
1: Great. Well, I actually bought my first property as a way to try to impress a girl that I liked. Uh, this was a, <laughs> a girl that I, I saw once a week and one time I just asked her, you know, hey, how was your week? Did you do anything neat? And she goes, oh yeah, I, I bought a house. And I, I looked at her I said, how? What, what do you mean? How is that possible? And she goes, well, you know, I, I just bought a house and I'm going to find a bunch of roommates to live with me in that house and I'm going to rent out those bedrooms. And then you know I've figured it out so that those bedrooms will pay for my mortgage, and I I thought, wow, she's you know smart and pretty, so I thought I could impress her. So I hired her. I hired her sister, who was actually a real estate agent in the area, and I said, go find me a house uh, in in her neighborhood that's bigger than hers. (laughs) And uh, sure enough, I did. I was like eight blocks away. I found a a six bedroom house uh, on Capitol Hill. In DC, and she hers was a five bedroom, and I, I you know, I did the exact same thing. I went, and I found a bunch of friends on Craigslist that I didn't know, and you know, they moved in, they paid my mortgage, and I think, you know, at the time I was young, I think I was only about twenty five, and I was living in this house that I owned that was well worth, you know, six or seven hundred thousand dollars, and uh, they were paying my mortgage, and I was living for about three or four hundred dollars a month, including food, like it was just incredible. Uh, but doing so let me save up uh, basically all of my income from my sta- and my full time job as a consultant, and I could then dump that into the next property. And so that's kind of how I got started. I would buy property, buy property, move into it, you know, get a primary mortgage on it, and then um, when it came time, either refinance and then move out, or take equity out and buy another one, or save up, and I, I just kept doing that process uh, until I. Um, until i am where i am today and i have a wife and a, and a daughter and it's a little harder to just move move houses now but yeah but we uh, we've done that twice since then so
0: yeah some people refer to that process as house hacking you know you buy it live in it rent and then rent it out or um, you know or live in it and have a duplex fourplex rent out the other units and then eventually move it out keep it as a rental and and then buy the next one and do it all over again but your story is pretty funny because uh, I've heard of the accidental landlord, accidental millionaire. But to get into real estate investing because a girlfriend impressed you is pretty funny. <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> well, so the the best part of the story is that it worked, right? I tried to impress her, and and she she fell for it. <laughs> so right. we uh, we got married a couple of years later, and and have a daughter. And oh,
0: this uh, is the same you know, this is the same lady that's your wife, same
1: girl. Same so girl. So we've been married for about six years now.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, you owe her. She uh, she puts you on the right path. <laughs> I do. <laughs> that's hilarious. Every day. That's hilarious. Well, great. So you've built up a port- portfolio. Last I heard, it was about ten units. And you do you manage all of those yourself? I
1: I do, uh, and then I have some um, a la carte help that I have uh, for my property in Colorado. So. I do. Um, I don't have ten units. I have I have almost twenty tenants, but I have about five units right now. And um, the property in Colorado is really my only. Uh, I'm experimenting with it, a vacation home style, you know, second home property where it's um, done with weekly rentals. And so that's the only property that I don't fully manage myself. But I actually have someone on the ground helping me do some of that. Uh, just because I'm not, I'm not there.
0: Okay. I'm going to kind of break off my regular script here. I kind of left Landlordology.com along with Cozy.co at the end. Tell us about Landlordology.com. We'll, we'll leave Cozy.co to the end because that's really more of a tool, but Landlordology.com is, is just chock full of great information for landlords that want to do property management and other things. So tell us about that and then we'll kind of get into more of the tactical stuff.
1: Sure. Yeah, it's a great story. So after a couple of years of managing properties myself and and trying to scour the internet for information to help me do that i really found myself very flustered with the lack of quality resources you know I, I certainly found the gurus out there that would charge you $1000 for some sort of landlording course or i found you know outdated information that wasn't practical anymore or the laws had changed or whatever and so i just thought you know i've got a little bit of a web design background i i, I have some time you know and Let's see what I can do. And so what I, I decided to do was build a website that would let me dump what I was learning back out onto the internet and let me blog and you know pour my heart into this and I could talk about best practices for property management and landlording and, and try to build a community of other self-managing landlords or small property managers and, and that we could just kind of go through this process together that you know we would encourage each other and and hopefully help each other succeed. And so that was the premise for Landlordology, you know, the the study of landlording. And uh, since then, you know, since that was about three years ago, uh, after about a year of doing that and just dumping all the information I learned uh, and read about into this website, uh, it became very popular. Like it was exceeding my expectations by far. And uh, I was approached by a company called Cozy and they said, we love what you're doing. You know, you... You're helping to raise that that quality of landlord, and, and helping to make the rental relationship and the rental industry just better. And we're doing that through through software. Let's talk about partnering up and and doing an acquisition, and then we can, you know, we can all just kind of do this together. And I thought that sounds that sounds great. So, landlordology is part of Cozy, but it's still its own brand. It's still something that is built and and free, and it's designed to be a complete resource for people who want to try to learn how to manage properties better and more ethical and and more profitable.
0: You know, our listeners know that I'm a, I'm a big proponent of professional property management. I don't usually recommend Investors manage their own properties, even if it's in their backyard. Number one, most people don't have the time, and even if they did have the time, it's a thankless job. You really have to understand marketing. You have to understand um, you know, the state and local laws. You have to have great people skills in dealing with tenants. You have to know how to properly screen and qualify them. If, if an issue comes up, you're the one taking the call. Uh, you have to know how to get things repaired, turned over. You have to take the time to show it. Uh, so you know, it all comes down to time and knowledge and expertise, and and this is why for I think 95% of our clients, professional property management is is really the only way to go. But that doesn't mean I'm completely opposed to self-managing if it makes sense. And this is why I wanted to bring you on the show. Tell us why you chose to self-manage over hiring a professional property manager, and uh, and then we're going to drill down into some detail.
1: Sure. So for me, being twenty-five, I didn't have a lot of money, you know, and and I didn't actually know how my first property was going to produce. I, I hadn't been trained in landlording, and I didn't really know how to analyze properties. I was using just rules of thumb when it came to, you know, figuring out the finances for this purchase and and it was really a shot in the dark and it luckily paid off and and i think renting to renting out rooms especially if you're in there or you have a multifamily property property you live in one of them i think that's a great way to cushion yourself if you want to get into the business because you can oftentimes get a single primary mortgage you know and then you can increase the the revenue and the profit because you're renting out individual spaces in that that whole unit so You know, for me, it was just out of necessity. You know, I couldn't give up 10%. And I was young and had a lot of energy and I was willing to, you know, I was up for the challenge. So I think that 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 was how I got started and that's how I made that decision.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you were house hacking and you had the time. So how should an investor decide whether they should self-manage or hire a property manager? I mean, what would the pros and cons of each be?
1: Sure. I think there's really only two things that you need to ask yourself and that is are, are you willing to give it a try? You know, do you do you want to bother with it? You know, because there's some people who just say, "Oh, I don't want to have to deal with tenants." And it's like, "Well, then you probably shouldn't manage it." <laughs> but, you know, you have to have the willingness to give it a shot and then you have to have the tools to make it happen. So, as long as you're willing and and then have the accessories to to handle it, which that's the easy part. The tools are out there, they're free. Uh, a lot of them are free and it's it's not hard um, but you know put those two things together and if you're willing to then you know then give it a shot and what I tell people is like if you're not sure, try it for one property, try it for one unit you know self manage it yourself and if it goes well, if you like it, then you can do that with your other units if you want to um, but if not, if you don't like it, you can always hire a property manager later.
0: Are you talking about in, uh, landlords that live Within a driving distance of their property, or are you talking in general, like anybody, regardless of the location of the property?
1: Well, it is certainly easier if you are within, I'd say, thirty to fifty miles of of a property for you to self manage it, for sure. Uh, that that makes everything a whole lot easier. And if uh, you know there is a level of difficulty that gets raised when the property is not close. So, uh, I think if you are not an experienced landlord, I probably wouldn't. If you don't already have a couple local ones, I wouldn't suggest managing something that's far away. Uh, as your first property, I would certainly turn that over to a property manager. You know, get your feet wet with something that's local and then, um, and then decide what you want to take on. So for me, I was managing four properties before I even bought something in a different state.
0: Yeah, but that's easier said than done because for a lot of people... They can't invest in their in their backyard. They can't invest within a two, three hour radius of where they live because the numbers don't make sense. You know, you take coastal markets, um, particularly, you know, California and up the coast, New York, New Jersey, um, and to some degree, even some of these cyclical or hybrid markets like uh, Phoenix, you know, you get to a point where property values have gone up so much that Not only is the affordability very low, but the rent-to-value ratio is so low that the rate of return doesn't make sense. So those are not markets that we would ever recommend. Um, And what we find often is clients from the coastal states and Hawaii and whatnot, they're purchasing in the Midwest down through Texas, Birmingham, Alabama, Atlanta, Memphis, Jacksonville, Florida. So these properties could be 3,000 miles away. That's where they're going to get the greatest returns, the best cash flows, um, good deals, in good markets in good neighborhoods so it's not practical for them to find an investment in their backyard and and that's that's our typical client you know they're out of state out of out of country um but I guess you could do it either way so I break down the management process into four main categories at least in my mind you know it starts off with marketing so you have to find prospective tenants or applicants and then there's the screening process so you qualify them uh, third would be the collection process. You want to collect rent every month, and then if there's an issue, of course, you have to collect late payments and whatnot. And then the last phase or part of that process is the turnover. Eventually that tenant will move out, and so you need to refresh that, that property, maybe do some repairs or painting and carpet cleaning just to turn it over, and then and then you know it goes back full circle to the marketing where you have to get new applicants. Uh, what I'd like to do is break those down individually with you, and if you could just kind of walk us through, uh, with your process, how you do each of those as a self-managing landlord.
1: Okay. That, that sounds great, and you're absolutely right. Those are the four big buckets that I think everyone needs to be familiar with if they're even going to have a shot at managing their own rentals. Yeah. So let, let's start with marketing. Shall we? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I can speak from my perspective and, and from dealing with um, and working with thousands of landlords on landlordology every month and just seeing the problems that they go through one of the hardest parts about marketing is trying to figure out uh, you know find that sweet spot for your property what what the really price of that and then who is your target audience Now I realize that there needs to be uh, you know no discrimination you have to be open to everybody um, and you set your own criteria and you, you know you keep that criteria for every applicant that comes in but realistically there is a, a certain type of target renter that will be attracted to your property And you know I have a couple of properties that uh, I rent them as, as group houses. You know I, I, they're all under one lease but uh, it just is such that you know groups of five or six people usually right out of college they tend to like, Living in community together, and they they will rent the house under one lease, and they'll each split up their bedrooms and figure out how much each one's paying, and they'll just share the house together. And for those ones, you know, I, I like renting to those types of people because they they typically produce a higher uh, revenue for me, and that house will produce more because they each can they can each afford afford like seven or eight hundred dollars, and you know, produce five thousand dollars in rent instead of me trying to rent it to a uh, you know a single family that might only be able to afford 2200 because that's that you know for a dual income or whatever. And you know I think you got to understand who your target rent audience is and if you if your property is near a hospital maybe there's people that are going to be moving and working at the hospital or if it's near a military base or if it's near you know um a lake and there's different types of vacation rentals there and, right. and you just got to kind of understand what it is. And for so that's the the foundation and then from there I'll figure out kind of what the price point I should set it at. And I'll use all kinds of data. You know, there's there's uh, you know Craigslist is kind of a, a great way to look at it. You kind of you don't really know if they're actually renting for the prices that are being advertised, but it'll give you a good um <laughs> a good fire hose of information in terms of what the market is asking.
0: Is that where you find your rental rates?
1: That's definitely a baseline that I use. Uh, but there's a number of other tools that I'll go out and I'll look at, you know, I'll look at all the other listing sites and see what was happening. Um, but my good rule of thumb is that if I don't get, you know, about three to five inquiries within about three days, then I probably got a price too high. You know, something's, something's wrong. And so it it doesn't mean I'm going to get a tenant within three to five days. It's just, I need some buzz. I need some responses. And if, uh, that'll help me figure out if I need to lower it a little bit, um, And then two, I I also decide to market it about 60 days prior to the end of my existing lease. And so I I find that that 60-day window is kind of the sweet spot. You know, that's where tenants who might be looking to move around the time that my lease is expiring, they'll start looking about 60 days out, and then I'll catch them if I'm marketing about that time. You know, if I wait to, to like 30 days, those people typically have already... Kind of have their eye on a place and maybe even signed a lease already and are considering a deposit. So, you know that sixty day, probably that thirty to sixty day window, I think is really critical. So, you want to start early. You know that's another key part about marketing is starting early, making sure you get really great pictures out there, have professional pictures taken, and and just build the best listing you can, and then um, and then syndicate it to every every site that you can imagine. Um, using a couple of tools that we can mention later, but, you know, just getting it out there and then just wait and sit back. You know, I I believe that, that uh, the most success I've had with marketing has always come through online listings rather than, you know, yard signs or, or flyers or anything else that might be physical.
0: Sure. Well, it's the uh, internet age and a comment about photos. I, I can't tell you how important good photos are, you know i i constantly butt my head with some of the uh, providers that we work with in local markets telling them send us really good photos we want a good set of photos especially a good exterior photo because that's the first thing people see the numbers might right. you know be attractive and it it might be a great property in a good neighborhood but you know if it looks like a dog from the picture even if it isn't but if it looks that way it's so easy to just skip over it because you know a picture's worth a thousand words and you're sifting. You're, it's a process of elimination. You're trying to get rid of all the ones you don't want in order to make a decision on properties that you do want. So yeah, that's 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 a big, big factor is, is having good photos. So as far as marketing, is Craigslist your number one source or do you use uh, postlets or other tools out there?
1: Uh, so I do get, you know, about 90%, I would say, from Craigslist, it's really popular in in the DC metro area, but I, I realize it's not as popular in in some parts of the country. So, it really depends on what the location of the property is. Uh, for me, it works well, but I I still use postlets because then it gets it out to Trulia and Zillow and and a bunch of other sites, and I'll get you know I'll, I'll still get inquiries from them as well. Uh, so between those two, between those two, um, that's how I syndicate my listings. However, uh, one thing that I started doing recently is that I'll actually create a webpage for the property. And so that webpage will have all the best pictures. They'll have everything about you know what I'm asking, the lease details and, and the price and the deposit. And that little webpage, it's just a one-pager. That, that page will uh, be linked from whatever ads I put out there. So it's a, a great way to kind of siphon them in and show them that you're a professional because... As a small landlord, I am competing with all the professional property managers that, that you recommend and that you talk with every day. Yeah, and so I need I, I need to look that professional in order to be considered. You know, I, I think the small landlords who just write listings as if it were a uh, an old fashioned you know p- a paper ad where it's the you know they're cutting minimizing words and making it two lines like they just don't even have a chance. So I use a web page, and that webpage actually has a built in rental application. So it streamlines the whole process. Uh, people can go and look at more information about the property. And then if they want, they can apply right there on the uh, on the webpage so that I get their application. It's easy. It's all online. They don't even have to worry about filling out paperwork. It's just really easy.
0: So that's optional. That's not mandatory. You can still market your property for lease using uh, Craigslist or sure. and Postlets and, and maybe some other uh, other avenues like yard signs and whatnot sure okay all right so you've got a bunch of applicants um you are now uh, basically going into a screening process do you charge uh do you charge them for that application i know a lot of landlords use that as a profit center you know they'll charge 25 50 and it might only cost them 12 or 15 dollars to run you know a credit check and you know other reports right so how does that work with you?
1: With me, I, I don't charge an application fee. I think that, uh, and what I mean by that is I don't actually collect any money from the applicant. Uh, I think that that is a hurdle to, to prevent people from applying. I think that uh, I'd rather have them apply and get interested and kind of have some sort of vested you know, feeling in the property that they took time to apply. And, and it just kind of gets them sucked in a little bit more. Uh, and so I don't, I don't have an application fee, but I know that uh, I know that some landlords do, and it is a profit center for them. But I, you know, my argument is always that unless you really have fifty or hundred or or thousand units, you know, the two or three dollars you might make on a credit report is nominal. It's it's not going to affect anything. You know, if you only have ten units, like whoop-de-do, go buy yourself a Starbucks coffee. But but you know, after all that, now you have to deal with the application and the 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 money they might give you right there. Instead, what I do is I require a credit report and a background check as part of the application. And so I use a tool uh, through Cozy that just lets me require that when they submit it. So as part of filling out all the information, they uh, go through a whole Experian identity check and then they get asked all kinds of questions and, and they can actually get a copy of their credit report and background check at the same time and then that is instantly shared with me at the same time that the application is submitted. So uh, that, that costs them about $20 for each one of those things. And um, it just makes it easy because they get a copy of it. I get a copy of it. It's from a third party, so I know it's not altered at all. And, uh, and I never have to touch any money or any checks or anything. So uh, that's how I do it.
0: So you pull a credit report, um, an eviction report. Uh, I know some people look at a criminal record, uh, background check, and you know I've heard mixed comments about that. Some people put a lot of weight in that, other people put no weight in that. Um, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. I would think that the eviction record is probably the most important thing. Um, you, you know, even for me, I don't think the credit report really shows all that much other than maybe some responsibility, but if they have a 600 FICO score, I mean, who cares I mean that's probably why they're renting in the first place that that's true
1: yeah, no, that's true. I, I definitely look at the credit score but but i'm more interested you know in the credit report uh, uh, I'm more interested in where the money is going and what type of debt that they have so for me it's more important you know I would certainly accept an applicant who has three hundred thousand dollars in mortgage debt than somebody who has thirty thousand dollars in Credit card debt because that's just a different type of debt and their monthly payment is likely a lot higher actually um, and it also shows where their priorities are you know I, I think that someone who racks up fifty or hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt probably can't be trusted with money you know I, I just I wouldn't trust them to pay rent on time because they're also battling you know Visa or Mastercard so I, I think from a credit standpoint it's certainly you look at the credit score and and I um I typically shoot for anything over. Uh, 650 is is just fine with me, but I do want to see wh- what type of debt they have. You know, they could have a million dollars in debt, but it may be because they broke their back in a car accident and they you know, had a medical debt, and you know, and maybe that's not there's no payments on it. So, you know, that stuff matters to me. So I, I look at that and I check it out from a background check perspective. I do think evictions are are the worst thing that you could find on there. I think evictions. Uh, not because it's criminal or anything, but just an eviction. And this is a common misunderstanding. An eviction is actually a judgment, right? I mean, it's an ev- it, when someone has an eviction on their record, it's because a judge has listened to a case where the tenant was involved and he was being evicted, and the judge ruled against the tenant and said, I believe the landlord is correct in this situation, and you were wrong to withhold rent or, or whatever you were trying to do. And then it gets marked as an eviction, so that shows a a willing defiance against the landlord's authority and you know it wouldn't be a big deal if the tenant was right but in this case a judge actually said no you were wrong you know you didn't do this right mm-hmm. and i think that i don't want to deal with people who feel like they will fight me in situations where they're wrong you know maybe it was a misunderstanding sure but you know, chances are they just, you know, they were wrong. They just were wrong. So
0: yeah, it's a breach of contract. So that's right. problem number one. And then there was intent there to actually do that. So if they've done it once, they'll do it again. And then likely exactly. to keep doing it. Yeah. So right. and and that's why I think that carries the most weight. Um but just going back to the credit report for a second, are you actually looking at their debt to income ratio?
1: Yes. You certainly do. Yeah. And and you you look at debt income Um, I don't have a marker or a criteria for a certain amount because I, I do weight the, uh, the types of debt more, uh, and I look at their monthly payments, but I, I don't, um, I like to break it down a little bit more than just a credit score and a debt to income ratio. Mm
0: -hmm. What about, um, what about their income? Do you, do you look for like three times their, uh, income in compared to the rent?
1: I do, yeah. That's critical, and it's it's three times um, this industry standard is two to three times the monthly household income, and so I, I typically do three times, um, but I set that criteria in the beginning, and then I judge all my applicants, you know, equally for that property at the same time. So I do three times the rent um, of their household gross income, and I think that's critical. Uh, however, if they have things on there that are uh, taken out. Um, like child support for example you know if they show me a pay stub and it shows that you know half of their monthly income goes to child support then then i do take that off the gross because i think that they're never going to see that
0: yeah yeah okay all right so what else do you do for screening if anything
1: sure so when i look at the the background check again i look at convictions you know anything that might show up on a national or or county level and I I typically want the people to be clean of no convictions in the last two years, but I definitely don't mess with anybody who has a violent or armed crime, you know, somebody that, that hurt somebody else and it's deemed a violent crime. I just, I don't want to be the landlord on the other side of the door, not on it with a tenant who has had a violent history. So that's a, that's a red flag and an immediate uh, rejection. Uh, and then you know back to the credit report i with the credit card debt that they might have that that 's a big one for me i just i want to see as low as low debt as they possibly can have on credit cards, especially like store credit cards you know i don 't want i don 't want you know fifty thousand dollars on a gap credit card that just shows that they just can 't control their spending and um, just gives a better picture for what they what they spend their money on so um, that's what I do for tenant screening with credit, credit reports and background checks, but there's a lot of other things with screening that I think really help a landlord or a property manager figure out who they might be renting to. And so, what I typically do is I, I kind of conduct an interview. You know, I, I do a, an initial interview oftentimes when the inquiry first comes in, and I'll ask them, "Hey, you you sound great. You want to talk on the phone for 15 minutes?" and you know, I'll just talk to them there, and I'll tell them about the property, and I'll tell them what the general requirements are, and I'll even go as far as to say, my standard is a 650 credit score, do you have that? And oftentimes, they'll just say no, you know, straight up, no, <laughs> and that's the end of the conversation. But, uh, but if everything sounds right, then we'll set up a showing, we'll set up a, a time where they can come see the property, and that also gives me or my representative a chance to meet the person. And they want to see the property. They're interested in meeting me because they're going to be giving me rent checks. And, and uh, you know, if, do they show up on time? Do they, did they represent themselves well? Or did they, you know, did they come disheveled? Did, were they rude? You know, I've even seen uh, applicants who come by and they, they whip out a handkerchief every time they touch something. And I, I don't know what type of, um, disabilities they may have, and it's not none of my business. But you know, if you see somebody who's touching every time he touches a doorknob, and he grabs out a handkerchief to touch it, you know, it, it just shows that he's just maybe slightly a hypochondriac, and might, you know, might give me problems later on where he accuses me of having mold in my house, and there's really no mold because he's having the sniffles, you know, things like that. Where these soft inquiries, these soft um, questions that you can look for. They really help you figure out who this person might be. Um, One of my favorite things that I do (laughs) is, it's called the trunk jump, and it's where I I show the property to someone, and and as they leave, I say, "Hey, listen, I'll, I'll walk you to your car." You know, and they usually think that's great. You know, it's wonderful. We can keep talking. So when we finally get to their car. Uh, as I'm shaking their hand or as we're walking there, I'll quickly just kind of glance into, the, into their car you know, through the windows. And it's not, uh, it's not obvious. It's just kind of an eyeball like look really quickly. And, and uh, it's not an invasion of privacy because it's open for the world to see. But what I'm looking for is any kind of red flags that might be in their car. For example, if they have piles of hamburger wrappers piled up to the ceiling in their back seat... That's probably how they're going to keep your house, you know. That's crazy. Or <laughs> uh, multiple times, actually, I've advertised a unit that that had a no pet policy, and then I get to their car, and there's, it's clear that there's, you know, white hair from a Great Pyrenees all over the back seat, you know, and you you just have to ask, like, oh. I, do you have a dog? <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh yeah, his name's Buddy. And you're like, you realize that this is a no pet policy house. And they're like, oh yeah, I was just hoping, you know, you'd, you'd make an exception. And it's like, well, great.
0: Yeah. I've so I, I think like it's that. a good tactic to try and catch prospective tenants in a lie. Um, because if they're going to be dishonest right from the beginning, you know, they're going to be uh, dishonest with you down the road. Um, you know, I guess one technique is, asking them how much they make, and then later asking them for pay stubs and seeing if those match. And if they don't, well, clearly they lied to you from the beginning in order to try and qualify, but now they've just proven to you that they don't actually make what they said they did.
1: That's absolutely correct. I can probably count Maybe ten or eleven different times um, after screening a couple hundred applicants. So maybe about eight to ten percent of my applicants have put a different salary amount on the application than what was actually on their pay stub. It's just so easy for them to up it, you know, ten grand or fifteen grand to make it seem better. Um, So it is critical that you check out the pay stubs for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't understand why they would lie about something like that. I mean, they must understand that at some point you're going to have to show or prove your income because you have to qualify. Right.
1: But I think you said it. I think uh tenants who have dealt with independent landlords, they maybe have never had to do that. You know, I think that they just assume you're not going to ask, or maybe you'll overlook it, or maybe you'll be invested in them by the time that they submit their pay stub. Yeah. So I, they just don't think about it.
0: So let me, uh, let me go off on a quick tangent here, because you had mentioned observing what's in their car or, you know, how they handle themselves while you're showing the property. The thing is, is, a lot of investors are are out of state or even out of the country and they may want to self-manage but they can't be there to show the property to every applicant. So, right. do you have any suggestions or recommendations on how you go about doing that from a distance so you could, you know, live in one state and manage in another? Yes, I
1: have two suggestions and and you're absolutely right. It's near impossible to handle that because it's not practical to fly out to your property and deal with it just for every showing. It's just not worth it. So, uh, the two things that I suggest when when managing something from afar and, and still wanting to be involved is y- you have to have somebody on the ground. I mean, the times where you really need somebody to participate with the property is during showings and, and uh, at the end of a lease when you're getting over for the next. Tenant. So, you know, if you can handle showings and you can handle move in, move out with somebody on the ground, then that's really all you would need somebody there for. Um, so things that I've recommended are, and what I've done, is you can find a property manager. Uh, they're in every state. Uh, they're not common as full service manager, but you can find a property manager who will on an a la carte menu. So you say, you know, even if it's not marketed that way, you can often go to them and say, Hey, listen, I love your business. I love your company, but I really just need somebody to handle showings. And they may say, no, thanks. Or they also may say, you know, well, great. How about $200 a showing? And you can decide if that's worth it to you or you could try somebody else or you could sign it. But, you know, you would get a professional there to handle those showings when you either, Uh, you could either submit these people to them. So you could say, Hey, I'll get the contacts and I'll send them over to you. And then you can show them the house and let me know, uh, or you could even let them do their whole application process. And then once that person's moved in and starting to pay rent, you could use a variety of other tools to do it yourself and, and not have to pay them a regular monthly fee.
0: Okay. And you were cutting out there for just Mm -hmm. a second. If I may ask you, you did say a a property management company using an a la carte service. That's what you said? That is what I said. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Okay, and your other suggestion?
1: My other suggestion would be to use the tenants that you do have. So one tactic that's worked uh, surprisingly well for me uh, is that I will tell my current tenants that, hey, listen, uh, I'd like to start showing the place to new prospective applicants. Your, your lease is ending, and uh, I was wondering if you'd like to work with me on this. Uh, if, you, if you keep the place clean, And I when I send people over, or when I get inquiries, I'll set up a showing. And then if you can be there to let the person in and answer any questions and just show them the place, then uh, then I'll pay you I think what I've done in the past is I said, I'll pay you $25 a showing. And if that person signs a lease, then I'll give you $100 extra. So what that does is it not only pays them for just being at their house anyway, because they're probably you know oftentimes just hanging out at home, uh, but it keeps the place clean. And then they have every incentive to try to represent the property well. So they, they talk about how great the location is, they kind of answer initial questions, and uh, if that person signs a the lease, I get 100 bucks. So that's worked well for me. And I usually just say, hey, listen, if the applicant has any questions about the lease or or any terms or anything, just tell them to talk to me. You don't have to deal with that. And they're usually pretty comfortable. So that that won't get you your first tenant. But if you have back-to-back tenants and you're trying to avoid a vacancy, that's a really great way to do it.
0: Okay. Those are all great ideas. And I'm sure you have a a ton more on landlordology.com. So. Uh, just to keep things moving along here, uh, the next area or process, at least how I break it up, is is collecting rents, just the collection process. Um, maybe this is a good time for you to tell our listeners about Cozy.co, not com, but .co. All I know about it is it's a free resource for landlords, and it was funded by Google, wasn't it? Yeah, tell us about that.
1: Sure. So Landlordology is part of the Cozy family. Cozy is a company that was uh, got its original, original seed money from Google. Uh, Google was uh, – our founder start, went to Google and said, hey, listen, we want to improve the rental industry. And they they loved the pitch. They loved the idea. They said, you know, that's awesome. Go conquer the world and here's a bunch of money to do it. And so we went out and, and started to try to rethink the rental process and said, you know, this is a, a business – Hasn't really changed for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. It's been relatively handled the same, and really in the last, I'd say, ten to fifteen years, has uh, technology come to the point where now the rental industry can use it. I mean, I, uh, whether it's electronic payment processing or or tenant screening or tracking everything that's not in you know not in a spreadsheet, you're tracking it a different way. You know, I think all that has now come to the point where we can embrace it. And so that's what we decided to do: is you know, be a uh, full end-to-end property management software that can be used by not only independent landlords, but you know, full-time property managers that that manage other people's properties. And um, and we thought the best way to do that would be to provide the best-in-class product, but also to make it free. And so um, that's where we are. Uh, Google is used by about a hundred thousand people, and it's trusted with. Um, Hundreds of millions of dollars in rent every single month or every single year. I'm sorry. You mean cozy? And we cozy. What did I say? Google. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So cozy is trusted by hundred thousand people uh, every every single um, month to handle their rent, and we we process hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's it's just really great. I use it for my own properties. It makes it really easy to go through that whole application to to move out. You know, it lets me track everything. So check it out. it's cozy.co.
0: Okay, all right, so there's practically every tool you'll want to use as a remote landlord on Cozy, uh, with the exception of what?
1: You know, with the exception of super advanced accounting, so if you are a numbers guy and you want to analyze investment profit and you want to you know analyze your entire bank portfolio, you can't do that through Cozy but you know, if you're looking at tracking leases and tenants, and and making sure that you get high quality tenants through through screening reports and tools that we offer, and then making sure that they can pay online, uh, you know, directly from their bank account or to your bank account, or even with a credit card, you know, they you can do that through Cozy. So,
0: so rent collection is automated and it's all done online. Monthly payments directly to your account.
1: That's correct. Yeah. So the tenants can decide how they want to pay and when they want to pay and. You know, you've got your rules set up in your lease on when rent is due and, and all that's handled. So what we like to advertise is that we are really selling peace of mind that people can, you know, it's kind of like Home Depot. It's like you can do it and we can help. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing with rentals. It's like here are the tools that you actually would need if you wanted to do this professionally, but you can do it. So that's where we that's where we come in.
0: So let's talk about the last item. Uh, the tur- what I call turnover, but let's talk about evictions and turnover. How are evictions and, and turnovers handled? Because obviously an online tool like Cozy might be able to help and you not being in the local market definitely won't help. So who do you turn to or who do you hire in order to turn the property, get it cleaned and ready for the next tenant? And And what about evictions? Let's talk about both of those.
1: Oh, that's great. So for turnover, uh, the process of having tenants move out, get it clean, fix up anything, and then get somebody else moved in with keys—that whole process—you absolutely need someone on the ground. And so, uh, that's where you could hire a handyman. It's oftentimes good to have a, um, like a general or a super—you know, somebody who who just kind of lives in the area that you trust and can rely on, and that you could actually give keys to, and have that person you know, on call. So that would be the same person that would need to go over if there was any sort of massive emergency or, uh, or to handle these kind of turnovers. And so you could pay that person, uh, per move in, move out and you know, per turnover and give them a thousand dollars or whatever it might be to deal with that. Um, but if you do have a property manager that offers a la carte services, then that would be something that you could pay them for. So you could kind of keep it in the same family if they're doing the, um, initial showings. And then at the end, they're also doing turnover. So you really just need someone there to oversee any sort of cleanup and repairs. Um,
0: So the key there is to have a reliable property management company that you can call on on an as needed basis, and possibly a handyman or, or a contractor of some type that you can call on to do maintenance and repairs if something were to come up. Correct.
1: Yep, somebody that you trust on site, and that could be a neighbor, you know, or it could be somebody else in the building that that uh, you've befriended okay. and somebody that you trust. Yeah, it's it's possible. <laughs> to your other question about evictions, um, that's where it gets tricky, and and I I would hope that uh, what I'm trying to accomplish on landlordology and what we're doing with cozy would would avoid having a tenant who just you know skips out on rent or just hunkers down and doesn't want to. Doesn't want to move, you know. I think that it's all in tenant screening, and so if you can pick the best quality tenant, you can eliminate a good portion of any potential evictions. But you're certainly not going to get them all. And when that that bad day comes where you realize that you're probably going to have to evict somebody, um, I'd say if if you don't have a full time property manager that you're working with anyway, uh, then the best choice of action is to call a local landlord attorney in that area to to pay them for that because. They're going to be able to handle it way better than you ever will be able to uh, even, you know, and and then you've got the distance against you as well. So uh, go ahead at that point, get attorney involved and and just pay them their fee.
0: Now, if you have to do an eviction, do you use that website? I I can't remember what it's called, but they handle the eviction process. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: I do. Yeah, I I actually never used it because I I pride myself on not having evictions, but but, uh, it's called Click Notices. Uh, clicknotices.com and, and what they do is they have built uh, a platform where they have a network of attorneys in a lot of different states and you create a login with their, their website. You've, you know, give all the details about who it is you're trying to evict and your property address and then submit it and pay your fee. So you pay them a small fee. They will syndicate it to a trusted attorney that they, they know that's in that area and that attorney will not only represent you in court, but he'll also either go over to the property and deal with that in-person delivery if it's required by that county, uh, or hire somebody, you know, hire a service person to do it. It just seems like a full-service method of doing an eviction online. And so, uh, I really am intrigued by this company called Click Notices. And I, if I next time I have to deal with an eviction, I will certainly give that a try, uh, just because I think it's a fascinating way. It's it's kind of a A new technology way to do it. Um, So definitely check them out.
0: Great. Uh, Anything else you want to add to the process? I know you have a very specific process that you follow. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that, that you want to add?
1: You know, I I just want to encourage folks that do want to try to manage it themselves. I I think it is certainly possible and I've been doing it successfully. I have a profitable rental income A rental portfolio with with happy tenants. You know, it's it's one thing to have money, but it's another thing to actually have money and tenants who are willing to give it to you. So, you know, I think that whether it's automated rent collection or easy tenant screening, you know, or even um, (laughs) one trick we didn't talk about was during turnover. One of the things that I I like to do is uh, I set move out times in my lease, and that's a neat little trick where you can in the lease, you can say this lease expires at, let's say, 10 o'clock on the last day of the lease. And then the new lease that you might start doesn't actually begin until about two o'clock the the next day. So uh, the lease ends on the 30th and the new one starts on the 1st. And you have about 20, you know, 28 hours or so between leases where you can do repairs, you know, clean up, you get cleaners in there, you can replace blinds, you can do whatever you need to. And I think as long as you have somebody on the ground looking at at the overseeing of that, I think you can hire people out to individually do things, whether it's through a lockbox or or that handyman who might have a key. You can get a lot done in 28 hours if you plan ahead. So I think that turnover period is, is probably the most scary. uh, The scariest thing that you might encounter as a long-distance landlord trying to do it yourself, but it's it's not as hard once you do it once or twice and you set up the right processes. So I just want to encourage people.
0: Yeah. You made me think of a question I didn't think to ask you before, but what is the biggest pitfall that remote investors fall into when they're looking at managing their properties on their own or maybe just getting started? What's the biggest pitfall?
1: The biggest pitfall
0: to managing property...
1: From a from a distance is really not having your finger on the pulse of the property. I think that it, it is critical uh, to have somebody that you can call if you need to and just say, "Let me know how things are going over there." You know, and if you have to pay them every time they go kind of dr- do a drive by or every time that they uh, do an inspection, you can set up you know quarterly inspections with the tenants or whatever. You know, I think it's worth it because the real expense comes when when you don't know what's happening and a year or two have gone by and no one has gone over to the house to check on it. And the next time you do, you realize there's, you know, a leaky roof that's been leaking for six months and the tenants just didn't care enough to tell you, you know, and now you have a $40,000 bill. So I, I think it's just a matter of staying on top of it and, and inspecting the property, you know, once a quarter at the minimum and, and making sure that uh, it's being kept up.
0: Yeah, that's good advice. We're, we're going to have a guest in a future show here uh, that provides a service in virtually every city where they will go out for a small fee and actually uh, check or check up on or spy on your property or uh, the condition of it. Um, so it's kind of a low cost way for someone to be your eyes, hands and ears on the ground for something that, you know, you just can't do yourself so um, I don't know what episode that's going to be, but it's, it's, a, it's an upcoming episode. I'll just say that.
1: That's great. It, I've actually been trying to talk with a company called Digital Globe. Uh, I have a friend who works over there. And, and what they do is they take real-time satellite photos, and they provide that data to Google and Microsoft. And you know they're, they're kind of the, the people that actually own the satellites. And I've been trying to figure out how I can get their data, you know, for a reasonable amount of money and then offer that as some sort of service so that a a long distance landlord could get, you know, daily photograph, a daily aerial photograph of the property, because wouldn't that be amazing if you start to realize there's like 12 12 cars parked in your, in your yard. (laughs) Yeah. You'd want to know that.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a very interesting concept. I'd like to uh, see if you can pull that off. I'd, I'd be interested in that. So in wrapping up here, Lucas, um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners or anything else that you'd like to add, like a frequently asked question that I didn't ask you before?
1: No, I mean, this has been so fantastic. And and thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk about Landlordology and Cozy. And uh, you know, I I just want to say that uh, if you're out there and you're you're trying to manage the property yourself, you're, you're not alone. There are tons of people out there that are doing it too. And they're they're interested in building that community. And so that, that's what landlordology is all about. And uh, I'm here to help just make you feel not alone, <laughs> try to answer any questions you might have as best I can without, without actually being legal advice. So... Uh, I think as a community, we'll all succeed.
0: Yeah, I I would even suggest that listeners go to Landlordology and check it out, even if they don't ever plan to manage their properties on their own. Because if they just learn how property management works and what to look for and the things that make it work better and just understand the whole process, even if it's through the eyes of their own property manager, um, they're going to have better conversations with their property manager. They're going to know what to look for, what to ask. I think they'll just be better educated and education is everything. So it's, I think, a valuable resource, whether you manage or you don't manage your own property.
1: Thanks. That's great.
0: So Lucas, tell our listeners how they can find you, your websites, um, you know, any other contact information you want to provide.
1: Sure. Yeah. So you can mostly find me on landlordology.com. It's landlord and then ology, like psychology. Uh, And I I hang out there, you know, 90% of my day answering questions, building community and just trying to help build better content for landlords and property managers. Uh, But also at Cozy, uh, it's Cozy.co, C-O-Z-Y.co. You can reach me if you want at Lucas at Cozy.co. And that's my email address. Feel free to contact me uh,
0: directly. Great. Lucas, it's been great having you on the show. I'm sure we'll have you back at some future date. Thanks, Marco. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon.